My particular role in brand strategy is to oversee the creative and the events. Basically, how do people interact with us and how do we make it fun to interact with the car world? So I'm in, just from a tactical standpoint, I oversee our with our team, our commercials, our advertising, overseas messaging on the website. What are our taglines? When you go to an event, we don't just put up a booth and have a bunch of insurance brochures. We actually never do that. When I think about a great engagement through Haggerty, I always talk to my team and say, create memories, not brochures. You'll never have a desk or a table with a bunch of insurance brochures between me and the customer. It's always one-on-one. We almost always have a car in our booth when we have the space because people want to talk about cars. Hey, everybody. I'm Julie, and welcome to Women with Cool Jobs. Each episode will feature women with unique, trailblazing, and innovative careers. We'll talk about how she got here, what life is like now, and actionable steps that you can take to go on a similar path or one that's all your own. This podcast is about empowering you. It's about empowering you to dream big and to be inspired. You'll hear from incredible women in a wide variety of fields, and hopefully some that you've never heard of before. Women who build robots and roadways, firefighters, C-suite professionals surrounded by men, social media mavens, entrepreneurs, and more. I'm so glad we get to go on this journey together. Hello, everybody. This is Julie Berman, and welcome to another episode of Women with cool jobs. So today I am here with Soon Haggerty. She is a senior vice president, a brand strategy of a specialty vehicle insurance company. So these aren't like your everyday cars. These are the cool classic cars that are expensive, come in cool colors, the ones that you see at events. And you're like, ooh, I wanna, I wanna look under the hood if you're a car person, or I wanna look inside and see what gizmos and gadgets are included in this really cool car. So she played a huge role in transforming Haggerty from like a local small family business into a global publicly traded lifestyle brand for car lovers that is on the New York Stock Exchange. It was valued at more than $3 billion in 2021. And she did this, right? Her and her team did this by creating these elements around this insurance company, right? And insurance, if you think of insurance, we don't usually get super excited and want to chat about our car insurance. We don't have like conversations about these with our friends all the time. So she created this experience and this idea of camaraderie and connection. And she helped build that by doing brand marketing and brand strategy And it's all about people coming together at these different events and really just like talking about being in love with their cars and loving the whole experience of owning these cool cars. And I think this is really fascinating to think about how she's using communication and storytelling to not only help her brand, but like she's helping people come together around something that they really love and enjoy. Like she's pulling these elements that are essential to building a brand and helping to sustain a brand as a leader. So this is a fascinating conversation for me because I really love 
communications. I really love the idea of storytelling and like how people use it. So that that's her first cool job. Another cool job that she has is the founder and owner, co-owner of The Good Bowl, a mission-based Vietnamese restaurant in Traverse City, Michigan that donates a dollar per bowl to charity. We talk about what that was like to become a restaurant owner, why she felt so driven to become a restaurant owner, and also what the timing was like to start a restaurant business right before the pandemic. And um, so we talk about what that was like and some of the tough decisions that she had to make and, and, you know, the lessons she was learning. She also is the founder of newly launched Boundless Futures Foundation, which is a foundation dedicated to providing financial and leadership resources to aspiring female entrepreneurs dedicated to doing good. And the incredible thing is not only do you get this money through grant funding where you don't have to pay it back, you don't have to pay interest, you aren't beholden to people who are worried about what you are or are not doing, right? Like investors, um, you get to use the money the way that you see fit. You don't have to pay it back. Also, you get access to mentors and other resources that you would never have access to to help you grow and build in an exponentially faster and healthier way to have more success. So I really was so amazed by all the different things that she was doing when I was doing research about soon. I was like, oh my gosh, these are all so different. But it also goes to show that so many skills that we have, these transferable skills, we can use in different areas and they will help us out in completely different areas. So if you are someone who is either fresh out of you know, high school or undergrad, and you're thinking about like, what do I want to be when I grow up? Or you're someone like me who's in midlife, you know, who's like had 20 years of like of experience after, after getting out of high school. And you're like, what do I want to be when I, when I grow up? Am I interested in changing? And, you know, because whether it's from burnout or you just want, you just want to do something new because you're curious about something else. Like, you can take the skills that you have that you've developed from before and you can totally use those in other areas. And um, it's such a beautiful thing when we see examples of this in real life and Soon is such an incredible example. So I hope you enjoy this episode with me and Soon. Please, if you know someone who this is going to inspire, if it's going to intrigue them and be like, ooh, what is this brand marketing? I did not know about this. Um, please make sure you share it with them. Send it to them in a text or email right after you listen. It would mean so much because that's how we show what women are doing, all the possibilities that exist for cool jobs. And thank you so much for being here. Enjoy this conversation with me and soon. Hello, everybody. This is Women with Cool Jobs, and I am so excited to introduce you to Soon Haggerty. Thank you for being here soon. Thank you, Julie. I'm so happy to spend some time with you today. So you have a plethora of very cool jobs um, you and very diverse things that you have done. And so I think we're going to touch on all three of them a little bit today and talk about like the, the nuances and the details of each one. So I would love for for you to explain, like you're a nonprofit founder of a really cool organization that's new called Boundless Futures Foundation. You also are the senior vice president of Haggerty and you do brand strategy of um, of 
uh, for this company. And um, they focus on like a very cool niche, which is classic cars, all sorts of interesting vehicles that you don't drive every day. And then you also have a mission-driven Vietnamese restaurant in Traverse City, Michigan called The Good Bowl. So normally when I ask this question, I ask, I start out with like, how do you describe your cool job? But do you want to talk about one or all of them and kind of just give us like a, a basic overview of what you do. And again, you can choose if you want to go into just a sneak peek of all three or just one we can we can chat about at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think I can do a quick drive by, which is was perfect for the first one I want to talk about, which is a uh, role that I've been in for about 20 years at Haggerty. So I'm in charge of our brand strategy. So Haggerty is a lifestyle automotive brand for car enthusiasts. So like exactly what you said, it's not the car you drive every day. It's your passionate vehicle. So I oversee all of our creative, our brand strategy, our events. So I make sure that we tap into what car people really love, which is the joy of driving. So we created this purpose to save driving and fuel car culture for future generations. The majority of our business is built through insurance, but nobody ever wants to talk about insurance. I can tell you about that. So, you know, we spend a lot of time just thinking about cool campaigns so car lovers can gather and enjoy each other and get to know each other and and their vehicles. So that's been a really fun part of my life, about 20 years of my life. And it's something that I think even if you're not a car guy or car girl, you can really appreciate what cars mean to people, right? So it's you know, when you're at prom, you drive up in a cool car or the first time you take your child home from the hospital, you always remember that moment. So I think there's this huge connection with people and cars. Yeah, I love that. And I think I definitely want to touch a little bit on what it means to be in brand strategy. I think that's something that's really interesting. And I'm fascinated by it personally, because I started out like way long time ago in um, PR, like communications world. And so I just have this personal, like vested interest in it. And I think it's very interesting. And now, you know, we even hear people talking about like a personal brand and building your personal brand. And we just hear that. And so I'm so curious how like that journey of joining this company and you guys have it in such like such a big place now where um, you took it public and you've got all these events. So it's really kind of fascinating how you guys went about building it and like what you've now created. And also I think like even not as, I'm not necessarily a car person. Like when I was growing up, I wanted a Camry, right? Like I was not, <laughs> I didn't have these right. big aspirations. Right. I just wanted something like really reliable. And, um, <laughs> and then, but I, but you know, it's like we, I think we do, like we have these certain memories tied to um, cars or like we can appreciate them even when other people are driving them and look at how cool and unique and and just like all these special features of them and get excited. So I, I love that. I, I want to also touch on, you know, if you can explain also what is the Boundless Futures Foundation, if you can just kind of briefly explain that as well. Yeah, I think I'll start with the brand strategy. I think especially if you have a product that can be a commodity like insurance, right? So you have two things. Nobody really wants to talk about insurance because when you think about insurance, it's either you think about insurance when you have to buy it, which is probably a super, it's not the same as buying an awesome pair of shoes. So you have to, but you buy insurance or you generally deal with an insurance company when you have a claim. So neither of those inherently are super fun experiences. So we figured out, okay, if we built this, really cool brand that we tap into people's passion, it will make us a more successful business. And honestly, it just makes 
working more fun, right? And so yeah. that's that's what we really tapped into. My particular role in brand strategy is to oversee the creative and the events. Basically, how do people interact with us and how do we make it fun to interact with the car world? So I'm in, just from a tactical standpoint, I oversee our with our team, our commercials, our advertising, overseas messaging on the website. What are our taglines? When you go to an event, we don't just put up a booth and have a bunch of insurance brochures. We actually never do that. When I think about a great engagement through Haggerty, I always talk to my team and say, create memories, not brochures. You'll never have a desk or a table with a bunch of ins- insurance brochures between me and the customer. We're, uh, it's always one-on-one. We almost always have a car in our booth when we have the space because people want to talk about yeah. cars. Yeah. So I really try to push our team, tap into why they came to, in ha- to Haggerty. And it's not because they want to buy insurance. They do buy it from us. We're the leader, but they buy from us because they know we get it. We They know that with us, that we'll help support the hobby. We'll talk about your cars after after we help you and support you on, on your basic needs. But I don't know. I think brand strategy is the emotional side of a business. I love that explanation. The emotional side of a business. That is super powerful. And you know, it's interesting that we're having this conversation now. I just started, and I know it's a super famous book, but I just started reading or listening to Simon Sinek's book. Start um, with why. But it's, yeah, it's all about the why. And I love that. Actually, I just listened to that like two days ago. And then we're having this conversation. Like, I think that's so powerful because you're connecting with people and not only like listening to their stories and hearing about like, why do they love doing, you know, like, why do they love being in this area, this like sort of niche of like these cool cars and what, how does it make them feel and like connect with other people? So what a cool thing. And the fact that you don't actually have the brochures and the the paperwork, I that's, yeah. I mean, that says a lot too. Yeah, no. And, and there's another book called Drive and it's by Daniel Pink. And it's this brilliant idea that I talk to my team a lot about, which is the whole idea is like everybody wants to, to buy, but nobody wants to be sold to, mm. right? And so that's what I think about when we create our products. Like don't sell them, like communicate why they should love it, right? And that's the why. It's like, why does this matter to me? It's, you know, there's so much research out there that we buy with our emotions. We buy with our eyes. We buy with our hearts. We don't, we don't buy with our brains. And you think about something so basic as you go to a grocery store, why do you buy Tide versus a generic brand? Because there's this trust built in Tide, right? They've built this brand. And one of my favorite products and brands, I think a lot of people love them, is Apple. And what they do really well is when you get your iPhone, their packaging is like you're opening a treasure. The way Mm -hmm. it's perfectly, there's, and their brand is built on something special that doesn't take a lot of explanation. There's no instructions to an iPhone. It should just be user-friendly. So it's like when you open up an iPhone case or a laptop, you're opening a treasure just the way that they have it packaged. So I think the greatest brands get the why and they they make you feel for their product. Yeah, I love that. And for you, I mean, like going back now and talking a little bit about sort of your your history and like how you got into this this field or these fields truly, how did you get into marketing and kind of like taking this this small company and like, 
right? Expanding it and, and, but doing so in really creative ways, but then you also have all these other neat things that you're doing as well. So, um, can you like go back a little bit and give us that, that insight into who you were as a younger person? Well, my background is really, it's really unique to the everyday American story because I was actually an immigrant from Vietnam. I was a refugee. I was born in 1974, or actually 1975, and the Vietnam War ended at the end of 74. So I was pretty young. My dad fought for the American side, so the South, and um, when communism took over Vietnam, our family was asked to join a re-education camp. And, you know, that means there's no education happening there. So my parents knew right away that we were, we could not live a successful life or even probably a fair life in Vietnam. So we emigrated to the United States when I was about five. So just, you know, starting over, we came with seven kids, six and a half kids. And my brother was born a couple of months after we got here with 300 bucks in our pocket. I just learned so much about entrepreneurism. I learned so much about curiosity. I just have always had this like learning brain because my parents who had a decent, successful middle-class life in Vietnam had to start over literally 300 bucks in their pockets. So I think so much of who I am really came down to how I came to the United States. And it took me probably you know, not till my 30s when I started telling this story. If you were to know me in high school and probably in college, you would have never heard this story because I don't know if it was, I didn't realize the impact or I was embarrassed or I didn't want to talk about it. It was almost one of those things where it was such a huge impact that I almost like buried it because it's embarrassing when you um, are Vietnamese and you go to primarily white school and community and you have a different last name, first name. So it's all these like really different things. So I think just this huge move to the United States shaped who I am and a ton of curiosity for a different culture and different way of life. So I think curiosity made me really be interested in brand strategy. How do people think? How do I create something? It's like, it's all about, to me, brand strategy and marketing is about creating and morphing something in somebody else's eyes. That's really interesting. And I'm thinking like just you were, the age you were too, you know, around that like five-year-old, six-year-old age, which I, I have a son now, my middle is is right at that age, like between five and six. And it's like, they're just, they ask the best questions too, right? Like that's your natural inclination at that age. Is like, oh my gosh, so I have true. so many things that I'm I'm wondering and like curious about. And you're, you're like, they're also so vibrant and like creative and they try different things, right? And so it's such a impressionable age too. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think- so inquisitive. Right, yeah. So I think that's so interesting too that you kind of taken that and, and especially at that time of life to, to immigrate. And then also to like be looking back and be like, oh, maybe this is how I'm connecting the dots later yeah. and and why is really, really interesting. And and also I think probably because you, and, and tell me if I'm wrong for sure, but just like hearing you talk about that, like the fact that you did come in at that age, you were old enough to also understand things at a certain level yeah. and, to, and to observe because kids are so observant at that age too. They're just like taking in all the things around them. And then to be able to translate that into this career that you now have and that have been like so successfully doing it 
and creating like a whole new like experience for people surrounding the, like an insurance company, which, yeah, is typically not like the most <laughs> exciting thing that we think about. I agree with you that that like in transforming it into actually something that people are participating in and experience and like what are the feelings and thoughts and associations that you want people to have around that? I think that's so cool and so powerful. And I'm sure that's why you guys have been so incredibly successful in your niche. Did you have uh, a degree related to marketing or like what, what was your education around, around marketing and, and things like that? Oh, that's a great question. When I, I went to Fresno state university in, um, in Fresno, which is central California, I always had that curiosity. And so I thought for a while I wanted, I wanted to do two things. I either wanted to be in communications because, you know, you're asking questions, you're building things, you're promoting things, or I wanted to actually be an attorney. So I took the LSAT. So I, on my senior year in college, I I, um, majored in psychology. I was taking a lot of courses in criminology. I didn't, I wanted to be in law. I wasn't sure. I was also, I I think there's a curiosity in law too. So I, but then I inter, I was my law class and one of my psychology classes were literally across campus from each other. So it'd take mm-hmm. me like 15 minutes to hike it across campus at Fresno State. And I remember my law professor, Ed Hunt at the time, who was the DA of Fresno in the county of Fresno is like, you know, Miss Nguyen, since you're late every day, why don't you come sit right up front with me for the rest of the semester? And I was like, oh, shit. But it was the greatest thing because I got to know him and he Mm -hmm. asked me to intern at the district attorney's office. So Mm -hmm. I did that for six months and I truly got a good grasp of what law could be, even though I still find it very fascinating. And my husband says I would have been a good lawyer because I love to argue and debate and think I'm always right. But um, (laughs) I realized it was a lot of research, a lot of behind the books. And I just, I think I wanted to just be out front a little bit more and learning and talking to people. So I um, took an internship uh, at a local hockey team, and I did 35 hockey games in one season wow. as in charge of uh, marketing and promotions at halftime, working with the players in my local hometown to have them go to schools and read books for kids. So that was my first taste of communications and marketing, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. So I moved from Fresno to LA thinking that I was going to work for the Lakers, Worst idea ever, because the guy, the guy that worked for the Lakers as head of PR was there for I think he still might be for like twenty years, okay. and uh, the only way to unseat un- unseat him is they said either he retire or he drops dead. I'm like, I neither of those <laughs> want to happen. So I started working at a PR firm in the automotive industry, and because I really enjoyed the experience of these product launches, there's no other industry that launches this many products in a year, like automotive mm-hmm. products or OEMs are always launching new vehicles. They have to, right? So that's kind of how I got into the automotive industry. That's how I got into the car world and into just communications. I I also like, wasn't sure if I wanted to be in communications or just in front of the camera. So I, I worked while I was living in LA, working at the PR firm a year at a TV station as a field producer and assignment editor. So yeah, I forgot that tiny little stint, but that was about a year. And I learned a lot about media and I learned a lot about communication. So it was, it was a nice addendum to my PR career. Yeah. Well, you kind of had like the inside scoop a little bit yes. on, on like how it works and the realities of probably 
what gets shown and what people could care less about. <laughs> oh, you know, and I and I tell this to my team a lot on the communications team. I being on the assignment desk at a TV station in LA, I learned what what would work in terms of a pitch in 30 seconds or less. When you're a journalist and your phone's ringing off the hook all day long to total, total strangers, PR people, or whoever pitching you, 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 your eye, like you start to do the eye roll in 45 seconds if somebody doesn't understand what they're talking about. So I love that. It was pretty quickly, I told my team, you have less than a minute before I hang up on you is essentially the mentality. I don't say it to be brutal, but it's kind of the truth because your your phone's ringing off the hook. So yeah. you better know what's important in less than a minute. Yeah, I love that. And that's actually completely true because I have that. It's, I started out in PR and also in communications as well, like external and internal. And then, but now it's interesting because like having this podcast, I'm on the flip side of it. Yes. And I like, so I've been out of that for a while. And then like, now I'm the one getting the pitches. And like, sometimes I get the worst pitches. I get yeah. pitches for men. Like, have you listened and I'm to like, my podcast right. at all? Yeah, yeah, like do you know who I am. Exactly. Do you know what I do? <laughs> exactly. So it's very clear. And then right, and then I get like a handful of really incredible pitches from people I trust. And then when they pitch me again, I'm like, oh sure, right? Exactly. Like I'm paying it's attention. Not a relationship, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it is. Yeah, you, you get what I do. Yeah, and so I I love that. I think that's so. I mean, how powerful of an early lesson too to then be able to take into what you were doing to expand. Um, and so I'm I'm curious, like for. For you, as as someone who focuses on brand strategy, like how do you figure out what actions to take that are meaningful? Or like, do you do testing first? Like, can you kind of walk us through what maybe like a day in the life or a week in the life or a month in the life, however you want to yeah. do it, is like for you? Yeah, I think that's, uh, no one's ever asked me that question. I think that's a really great question. I think, I think it's 50% intuition in terms of spending time with customers there's a lot of qualitative conversations. And then sometimes you have this long conversation with somebody and they'll say things like, oh, you know, I really want to be with you guys, but you know, one of your requirements is I don't have storage for my car because you generally, we want you to store your car somewhere, not just out on the streets. And so you might tap into that and say, okay, Julie needs, she, she wants to be with us. She's got an incredible camera. She's wanted all of her life. And so then we said, okay, so what if we invested in clubhouses that are called garage. And then we call them garage and, and social, right? So you go and store your car there, but then we do events. So it's like a little bit as qualitative intuition. You pay attention. You're always in the field talking. And the other is research. Like when somebody's on your site, what are they navigating towards? When they when they see one of your commercials, what feedback do you get? So it's a little bit of science, a little bit art. But I would have to say, if you don't know your customers and you're not willing to listen to their story, you don't have that curiosity, brand strategy is going to feel very, you're going to feel very lost because it's not a perfect road. It's not like IT where it's like, here's the project I need to fix and here's the end road. There's there's not a perfect end road because you're always evolving based on how your customer's thinking about the world. Yeah. I'm imagining too that you're a really good listener, right? Like that, like you're paying attention to a lot of different things as you're listening to people tell their stories and like asking questions and analyzing as these things are going on. Because I feel like part of if you are using your intuition for things is like you're noticing these 
trends almost, or like the things that keep happening that people keep mentioning over and over again, like making mental notes or being like, oh, this is a great idea. Like maybe we should put this in a commercial or like maybe we should include this in our next mixer. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely. I think listening and, but I also think there's this, um, you have to be very careful and nuanced between listening and focus groups, because I think sometimes people over index on focus groups. I think when you, when you overly survey, you do focus groups, all you learn is about what they've already seen. So it's tough to be innovative. It's like Steve Jobs, like when he was building Apple, just, I'm not sure he was a huge fan of focus groups. He said, I don't think people know what they want. If you were to say to me, hey, soon, like, would you want this little, would you want this little machine that has all your music that you can just download? I I don't know if I would understand what an iPod was or even an iPad, right? I think it's like listening and then think really tapping into the emotional uh, journey of that product or service that your customer goes through. So it's a little bit of intuition. So I, I think, yes, you have to listen. But you also have to be careful of what the source is. I I don't know why I was like on the treadmill this morning and I was thinking about like the idea of feedback. I was talking to a colleague yesterday about feedback and there's always this concept of feedback as a gift. I say that. I hate the term, but I believe it. But you have to be careful that not all feedback is the same. Mm. You have to have the right, the, a person you trust, an audience that you want to serve, and the way it's delivered is more important than just saying feedback is a gift because feedback can also lead you astray. It can also make you mediocre. If you actually take feedback of what everybody says, you just become medium. You just, mm. you're, you know, so it's like maybe you take feedback from a few adopters and a few innovators, and then you build your brand towards that. And then the rest will follow. If you, if you listen to the norm, what ends up happening is you just, you don't create anything special. So I think it's, I think brand is a really interesting field, but it's very nuanced. You know, you have to kind of have a good stomach and a good gut to kind of break through the clutter. Yeah. It made me think of almost an idea of like filtering the feedback and, and like having sort of that intentional mindset of like, these are the people who I really think have valuable feedback versus yes. this, this set of people I will ignore and, you know, not act on. I'm curious, like, what is it a day or um, a week look like for you? Like, what kinds of things are you doing in this role? Yeah, I mean, just like about a month ago, I kind of transitioned my role to not full time, but just for the foundation and the restaurant and, and kids. But in my day to day role as SVP, it's, I hate to say it, but it's a lot of meetings, <laughs> but it depends on, it depends on your role. If, if you're a senior vice president, you have, a, you know, six or seven direct reports. The majority of my time is really spent with my leaders to make sure that they have the tools to succeed. And that's really about giving them the autonomy to make a lot of great decisions, but being there to guide and say, okay, you know, one of my creative director, Tara might say, okay, soon I've got this round of campaigns, this this round of campaigns, my my heart saying, you know, round B, and I'll just look at it and say, okay, what are you trying to accomplish with round B? So it's asking a lot of good questions on how, what the direction of the brand campaign will be. 
it's it's a really diverse role because I'm also looking at events. I'm literally looking at like when somebody walks into a door at one of our events, what do they see and feel? Mm. So it's a lot of creative strategy, a lot of events, communications. So if we buy a new product, we buy a new service, my team is literally writing the press release. They're proving it through the CEO. They're thinking about the investor market. How will investors respond to this? Mm-hmm. How will car enthusiasts respond to this? And the, and then two other pieces that I was in charge of is really the giving strategy, our philanthropy, how we feel the car world and how we feel our local communities. And then just, just making sure that our internal team at Haggerty has the right information to do their job. So communications, creative, our impact strategy, and then all of our events. So a lot yeah. of internal, external work. So for lack of like a super interesting response to that, it's really, it depends on where you are in your career. If you are brand new brand strategist, you're nitty gritty in the work. You're developing the brochures or the campaigns or the taglines. But if you're a senior leader, you're really developing your team. That's mm. you're inspiring your team. You're inspiring your team to be creative and to try new things and kind of pushing them off the ledge a little bit. Because I think sometimes you can't create a great brand when you don't take some risk. You try something different. So I always encourage my team, like, don't be afraid to try new things. I love that. Like, are there certain ways that you do encourage them? Is like, whether it's actions or or things you tell them, like how, because I think that is such a really powerful thing that a, a leader can do for, for the people they work with. And I'm curious, how do you go about that? Yeah, and I think that's really important one. It took me years to 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 do this. I think- I think it's like psychology 101. So I'm glad that I have a psychology degree. It's when you create a like safe space, they're going to try something different. If they feel like, okay, I'm going to try this. And if I fail or it doesn't work, Sue's not going to have my head on a platter. She's going to maybe be disappointed or she might say, oh, we could have done this way. But it's like raising kids. You said you have three boys, right? Yeah. Like they're never... They're never going to want to disappoint you, but they know that if you are always going to support them, no matter what, they're going to try different things. Right. If they feel anytime they fail, they're going to disappoint you. They're going to stay in their safe zone. I think that's true of people. And I think that's true in work, especially. So I always like, if I, but if I do see something that I, maybe I would do a different way, I say, Hey, can, can we chat about this? And I don't put an alarm bell. This happened just like two weeks ago on, on a on a meeting, an event. And I was sitting in this hour long session by one of my leaders and I wasn't really like in alignment of the direction. And so I didn't publicly say anything. I just slacked her afterwards like, hey, you have a second to talk on Friday. I have some ideas on this topic for you. Hmm. And I gave myself two days to think it through And then I presented it to her to help her. And she took it really well. I would have to say, I've really been studying stoicism, which is really about like separating um, your environment from your reaction. The old soon would have been texting her like, hey, we should have did it this way, you know, and not being thoughtful of, gosh, I know you're trying to help soon, but you're really, you know, you're really discouraging this person from making decisions. The old, the newer soon, not the perfect soon, but I give myself distance now. I say, Mm -hmm. okay, I really want her to be successful, but I don't want to derail her independent decision-making. So I gave myself two days and it was really good. It was a great conversation. She's like, oh, I totally agree. She created a better proposal that she fronted and it 
I was like happy with her, but I was also proud of myself that just want to fix things person came out just like being a mom, right? It's like, I don't mean this to be negative towards a professional world, but being a leader and being a mom or dad are very similar. It's like you want your team or your family to be successful. And the only like in you, there's only so much you can teach and you have to have faith that what you instill is going to help them make great decisions. So you have to give people an autonomy to make decisions. I love that. I also, I appreciate that you waited those two days. I think that's a really cool approach uh, that probably I could also use in parenting. <laughs> oh, I, know. I feel like that's application I there. Good in parenting. I didn't say I was good in parenting. I just said from yeah, the professional but world. But I, I love that for the for the the example that you gave. And also I think as the employee, like I can imagine I it's really nice as someone who is being like being talked about something that didn't go ideally, but yet is like, here, let me give you some alternative things to think about and like maybe how I might approach it or some examples and then like let you run with it. Cause I think that also allows for a sense of like ownership for the individual. It allows them to be creative too for themselves and think like, how, how would I authentically approach this? So I, I love that. I think that's so cool. And I, I've never heard of stoicism, so I'm gonna have to look that up. Sounds oh, really interesting. I, I, I really recommend it's basically a philosophy, not a religion. Okay. It's the Stoics, like Marcus Aurelius, uh-huh. um, former emperor of Rome. And it's this concept of just, you know, we are more than our environment. And it's kind of like I've really been a student of it the last couple of years, and my team has seen the difference. That's a good example. Mm-hmm. And I think what it does is says, okay, here's what happened. I don't have to have a knee-jerk reaction. I could say, I could just pull myself out. I joked like a later soon is a better soon. I mean, just having you had a reaction to something and just said, shit, if I just thought it through and distanced myself, I would have handled it better. Yeah. So this is a mindset that constantly asks you, is this the right time to approach it? Is this, is this your best self showing up? So it's not a religion. It's a philosophy. It's a really cool, it's really changed my relationships. Yeah. It sounds so interesting. I'm definitely going to check it out and like see. And I I like that too, that awareness, like having that awareness of, yeah, like the- Awareness, that's exactly what it is. It's awareness. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. It actually reminds me of of mindfulness in a way too, like yes. a different type of mindfulness. That's exactly it. That's yeah. and you know, I meditate every day for 15 minutes and I I just 2 months ago really started journaling. Believe it or not, I've always been a, like I'm really a fan of mindfulness, but I just always fought journaling. I don't know why. And I've done it the last it was maybe more than that, right? A little after Thanksgiving, completely cleared my mind. Wow. It's, it's like, it's like what, what everybody says. It's been really builds a lot of clarity in my thoughts. So I'm a fan of both. That's awesome. Yeah. I am the same. I always think about journaling and then I'm like, I could get up early and do it. And no, I will not. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> yeah. But once you do it, now I'm excited about it. It's only been maybe 60 days or so, but now I'm like, I just can't wait to get it out of my head. And it's wow. really, it's really been helpful. This is giving me good incentive to maybe try to do better. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to work on that. Um, I, but I love hearing about this side of how you work and how you think about things and how you approach your team. 
I, I think this part is so powerful because like oftentimes I, I see someone who has gotten, you know, to these really high levels and in the corporate world or wherever. And it's like, wow, how do they do that? Or how do they get there? And yes, like there's all these uh, very tactical things that they've yes. done and like educational pieces and practical things that they put into place. But then I think it's so interesting to hear about these other elements that are not necessarily what we hear about. And so it's very fascinating to hear. So I appreciate you sharing some of these so much. I, I want to get into the other things, the other cool parts of your jobs that you have <laughs> um, before before we end today. So I'd love for you to speak about, you know, a little bit about the nonprofit that you founded um, and then also the restaurant that you yeah. also created. Yeah. So the, the second piece that I've had for a little bit, six years is uh, the, the restaurant. It's called The Good Bowl and it goes really part of my origin story. So when I came to the United States, this community took us in as refugees, gave us, you know, we we came as as green card holders. So we had the paperwork and then I became a citizen, which was such an incredible day. I remember it just distinctly. And, you know, that was 20 something years ago. And so I moved to Traverse City, which has, <laughs> let's say, not a ton of cultural diversity. It's in northern northern Michigan. Let's let's politely leave it at that. And <laughs> I just, my, I was just cooking these big Vietnamese dinners for my friends. And if, it, you know, I was like, oh, gosh, I wish there's more Vietnamese food. They're like, you should start a restaurant. I'm like, no, I'm never starting a restaurant. Cause I, my husband was in YPO or is in YPO. And his friend said, who's a big uh, restaurateur in Asia and said, if you know of anybody who wants to start a restaurant, you tell me, cause I will fly anywhere in the world on my private jet. And tell them that they are batshit crazy. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, okay, so that's peering in my mind as people are telling me this. But I just couldn't get it out of my head after yeah. a couple of years. And so I started to develop a business plan for this restaurant, a Vietnamese restaurant. And then I showed it to my attorney and he's the business plan. He said, well, do you have a chef? I'm like, no. <laughs> but he said, I have a buddy I went to high school with that I think you should get as a consultant. Long story short, we instantly had great chemistry and he's now my business partner yeah. and his family are refugees from Vietnam as well. So they were the boat people from the 70s. So we had this mm -hmm. like shared history. So we decided to start the restaurant and part of what I love about the restaurant, it's called Good Bowl, is we donate a dollar per bowl to charity as our way to thank the U.S. for taking us in as immigrants. And so it'll be six years this year, and we've given away 150,000, 160,000, so roughly about 30,000 plus a year. Oh. So, Julie, if you came to the restaurant, have you ever had pho, Vietnamese noodle soup? I, I haven't. Oh I haven't my gosh, you've got to have it. It's so good. So, you come and you say, okay, you can pick between a rice bowl, a noodle salad, or a pho, which is like a hot beef broth soup. We'll say, where do you want your dollar to go to today? So, every quarter, we change charities and we'll ask our community, where do you want, you know, which charity do you want to be the recipients? And people will vote and then they'll give suggestions and then I'll give the final suggestions to our team and they get to vote. So it's always a local charity, a national charity and a global charity. Wow. And so every quarter it changes. So that's the restaurant and we're having fun. I don't recommend ever opening a restaurant. I, <laughs> I, I need, I, I, 
it's because it's a lot of work. And half of our restaurant existence was during the pandemic. Wow. We opened in late 2018. So all of a sudden we were open for a year and a couple of months and the pandemic hit. So that was, you know, a complete disaster owning a restaurant during that time. And, but I, I, it also honestly was the best leadership lessons I've ever had trying to run a restaurant during a pandemic and you have 20 people that you have to take care of and customers. Like it was like this incredible, like masterclass in leadership during crisis. And so I feel like if you could get through that, you've got a lot of great gifts that you can learn from. Yeah. What do you think was one of the biggest things that you learned? I think humility of decision-making because remember during COVID, like you were told one thing, so you made that decision and then you did something else. And so I think always asking for uh, grace when you don't make the right decisions, but also just having a sense of humility of, Hey guys, listen, here's how we need to handle the next week. I'm not going to have all the answers, but here's the approach. Let me know what you think and let's recalibrate next week. And it, it's, what I mean by humility is like, you have to lead, but you also have to be humble enough to let people know, like, this is what I know at, with my best information. Yeah. And so I think humility, but I think the bigger thing was just really like constant communication. I mean, I probably, we have this internal kind of messaging and I probably every other day updated them. Okay. This is what's happening. We're going to be open for the next 48 hours. We're going to have to go to the next hour. We'll keep you, we'll keep you updated. So constant communication, a ton of humility and like, and I'm just going to be really straightforward because I'm not sure a lot of people would say this, like a perfect, almost perfect balance between humility and a little bit of confidence. Like there's humility will get you really far, but if your team feels like you are not confident in the strategy either, it's a pause. So it's, you do have to be confident. sidelined with humility. I think it's, you got to have both. Yeah. Like people will follow somebody that they think is confident in the concept. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I I think also it gives other people energy too. like to see someone who's confident and like, feels like, oh, I can right? Like I'm going to do this thing, like come with me or don't, but like, we're going on this mission. And, and, and especially in that scenario, like even because uh, yeah, you're right. Like I, it's like I forgot is how many, yeah, how many different sets of information were we getting? Like at first we think it's like three weeks, and then yeah, yes. clearly, clearly we it was not three weeks. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Remember when like they, like where I live, they closed the school for two weeks, and we thought the world was ending for two weeks. Yeah, we're, no, I I know never closed schools before. It's, what? Yeah, no, it was, we were on break, I remember. And and it's like, yeah, we're, you're coming back, right? No, no, we're not coming back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, just, so, just yeah, yeah. It, it, it was really like, I'm, I hate to say, but it was, it was such an incredible learning time for me and our team. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't even imagine because I, I know a very, a very long, long time ago, I was in this very cool, sort of like a entrepreneur mentorship uh, program. And one of the things I made a business plan for a restaurant. And I oh, remember, no yeah. You and should I throw re- it away. You should throw it away because. <laughs> you know what? It is probably somewhere in an ancient computer file that I may or yeah. may not be able to find. So maybe equivalent to throwing away. <laughs> but yeah, I remember at that time, like talking to a restaurateur and he, he was like, yeah, like 
some huge, like 50% of businesses fail in the restaurant business. And he- Within the first year. Oh, wow. Like huge amount. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just remember it was very, it was some scary facts that he shared with me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, good. I mean, I wasn't, I, it was like a, a project, right? So it wasn't right. ever something super serious for me, but it did always plant that seed. So I can see how, like then for you entering this field, having also someone who said so clearly, like definitely do not no. do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, but on the flip side, like, I love that you're still, you know, you're still around six years later after pandemic, you're contributing so much to like all these really cool causes, not only in your community, but also worldwide. That's really, really amazing. Wow. So congratulations to you for, for bucking that 50%, right? That. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. It's uh, like I said, it's, it's quite humbling to be able to run a restaurant during that time. And you learn a lot. And there are some days I, have a, a bottle of wine to myself and say, what did I get into? But there's other days where I'm having the impact strategy and the giving model really energizes me. You know, when I come into the restaurant and I talk to guests, like this just happened last week, a woman who works for a local nonprofit said, I just want to thank you for all you do for your community. It re-energizes you. And I know I've been joking a lot about restaurants. Anybody who owns a restaurant knows it's a passion business, but knows how hard it is because almost everything has to be perfect in a restaurant for your customer or else they're unhappy. So it's almost like this, like, it's kind of like this tough scenario to always win. I always tell people it's, you got to have the food fast, but not too fast, a friendly server, but not too friendly, right? Hot, but not too hot. So it's like, it's perfect scenario all the time. Sometimes it's unattainable, but if you love it, you love it. And I just, I don't know, I hate to say it, but I love it. Yeah. And it's so interesting because it's such a different business than you yeah. doing the brand marketing for like a, you know, like a, a big company that specializes in, in these like insurance for cool cars and other vehicles. So, you know what it's on the surface, it feels very different, but gosh, there's quite a bit of crossover. It's all about passion. People who own these classic cars don't drive it from A to B. Yeah. They drive it because they love it. And when you go to a restaurant, like you want the experience, like yeah. most people can cook at home. But to go out to a restaurant is because you chose, like, it, it's such a, to me, it's like, I feel such gratitude that somebody chooses to come to my restaurant to celebrate their birthday. And mm-hmm. so I, it's like, it's such, I'm so grateful. So it's, to me, it's really the same mentality is like people, passion, people love food. And I think people love cars. And it's like, those two things bring people together. Car yeah. lovers want to be with other car lovers. Passionate people about food want to dine out with other people who are passionate about food. So I think on the surface, I might seem pretty far apart, but I think underneath it, it's it's all about community and passion. And I just, I don't know, I love tapping into both of those things. I love that. Yeah. That's now that you point that out. I mean, it makes a lot of sense that there are very clear like overlaps there. So I, I love that. I want to talk about your nonprofit. And a little bit. So share, like, what what is your nonprofit? I know it's pretty new um, and you have some exciting news. So share a little bit about what it is and and what's happening. Yeah. So my husband, Mikhail, and I, um, we launched a foundation called the Boundless Futures Foundation late September of 23. And the mission of the foundation is to help female entrepreneurs who want to have this boundless impact in society, which means that they would be new to starting their own business. And either that business has to be a social enterprise, meaning their product or service 
solves a social issue or their product or service, their business has a giving element to it. So think about like Tom Shoes or Warby Parker, right? So even if their business doesn't solve a world issue, something in their business contributes to society. So, so those are the two parameters. And it's all for female entrepreneurs. And it's a no-strings-attached grant. So we give two types of grants. We give a grant called Empower Her. And it's for individuals who start their own, who want to start their own business or have started their own business that's under three years old. So we can help fund that. And we give grants up to $25,000 with no strings attached. And then we also help grant nonprofits who are mission aligned. So their nonprofit has to help female entrepreneurs as well. Okay. It's all about supporting female entrepreneurs. I think there's amazing stats out there that show that 40% of businesses in the US are owned by women, but only 2% of venture capitalists, venture capitalist funds go to women. So VC. So where are they getting this money? They're borrowing it from family. They're borrowing it from friends. They're borrowing it from banks. And that's not a great advantage because if you have more capital, you take bigger risks. You can make mistakes. If a product doesn't work, your business doesn't go out of business, right? Yeah. So I, I want to be, and even though twenty five thousand isn't maybe not going to change their world, it it can give them rent for you know six months. It yeah. can help them buy twenty laptops. It can help them hire somebody to promote their business. So it's, I think it's, it's some support, but part of Boundless Futures Foundation is we have something called an advisory circle. It's five members of our team, three females, myself, um, sorry, four females, myself, and then my husband. And we um, are basically mentors on speed dial. So from my background, restaurants and marketing communications, if you launch your new business and you need help in any of those fields, you can just call me and we have a certain amount of time every month that we can dedicate to you for that. Because I think starting a business and getting funding from a bank is one thing. But like when you have questions, like, do I start an LLC? Do I start a corporation? What's the bonus plan for my first employee? Like, where are you going to get that? Google? GPT? You want a trusted source who's done this before, especially a female who's done this before, because there are differences when, from a female mindset and a and male mindset when you're building your business. And so I think the, the advisory circle to me is going to be more compelling than just the grants. Oh, yeah, I think for sure. I mean, I think those are the unspoken things that like right? You're not just going to go ask a stranger or like DM someone through LinkedIn and be like, you have the most amazing experience. Can you please tell me all of your advice on this particular topic? And like, maybe you might get lucky, (laughs) but the odds are probably they're like, what? Like, you don't even know me. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. yeah, And and I think with the advisory circle, we're committed to, I mean, we already know who you are because we're granting your business. So we, you, you did all the work. You showed us your business proposal. You answered all the questions of the criteria. We've interviewed you multiple times. And so we we trust you and we know your business. Whereas if you're DMing a stranger, they might give you advice, but it may not be good advice or the right, right advice because they don't know your business. So we're yeah. committed to getting a little deeper with our advice with you. I love that. I think that's such a powerful part. And especially also what you mentioned, the fact of like women who have done these things and been there. Um, learning from their experiences of like what to do or what not to do. And also just being able to ask those 
questions that like sometimes are not like it feels silly to ask certain questions, but are also, yeah, like, do I need an LLC? What do I do with my taxes? Like, do I need certain, I don't know, you know, like certain professionals helping me and how do I set things up and structure like all those things that you don't necessarily think about when you have this grandiose vision of, I want to make this happen. The nitty gritty details are really important and having someone to help you, I think is so valuable. And it cuts a lot of time too, because you can research it. But, you know, you spend a lot of time researching and it may not be the best advice, whereas like you can walk it through. It's almost like cuts. You're always going to have a learning curve as an entrepreneur. I still have a great learning curve for the restaurant. I still have a a massive learning curve for a nonprofit. And I still have a learning curve from brand and marketing. But I think if if these experienced people with 20, 30 years of experience can shorten that learning curve just a tiny bit. I think that'd be super helpful for our grantees. Yeah, I love that. It sounds so wonderful. And I I really love like your particular mission of helping women because I'm clearly aligned. Yeah. <laughs> clearly I mean, aligned I mean, in helping women. <laughs> yeah. And and I think, you know, starting your own podcast is starting your own business. And I'm sure like I'm sure you had a lot ton of questions when you started it. And yeah. so imagine if you had like rock star podcasters at uh at the figure at your fingertips. Imagine yeah. what you could have learned, right? I mean, it would have made all the difference. Like I, it yes. took me, it took me from February when I decided, yes, this is what I'm doing to October till I started launching my first two episodes because I had so much groundwork that I had to do so much research and I didn't know anyone else who was podcasting. Yes. So exactly. yeah, it was, I mean, yeah, it would have been so amazing. Still would be so amazing, right? <laughs> well, you have a great way about you and an awesome, awesome laugh. Oh, I mean, you. like you, I don't know, you, you make people feel at ease. So I think oh, you I think you're you. got a good leg up. Oh, I thank you. It really means so much. You're going to like make me tear up. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to keep it together here. I, <laughs> I want to ask you a few other things just before, just before we wrap up. So as far as your, your job of doing the brand marketing and being the SVP of brand marketing, like if people are really interested, if they're listening to this and they're like, wow, this, this sounds really fun. I love the idea of like creating brand and like helping people build how would you advise people to get started in this field if you have like resources or suggestions for associations or groups, just kind of things that people can start looking up and, and learning about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it depends on where you are in your life. I think it's never too late to learn a new field. I think internships are always important, but I think like really getting underneath content. So I subscribe to a lot of brand and uh, marketing, creative newsletters. I have something called, I don't know if you've heard of Flipboard where you can kind of, it's Flipboard is just an app that you subscribe to certain industries that you like. And then I'm Mm -hmm. like inundated with amazing stories from that field. So every day I probably spend a half hour like looking at different brand and marketing creation stories. And so you're learning. And I think you know, it's like good advice for anything else. It's like, you have to put in the work and you have to be willing to teach yourself something really new. And then I think for me, I started as an internship, both in in all of my fields. So putting in the work, building the content and having that curious open mind. And I think with like anything else, talk to as many people as you can. And I think somehow the door will open and you'll be able to say like, okay, this is this is a good road that I I want to take that next step. So there's no perfect way to do it, but 
talking to pe- talking to people, putting in the time and the work in, in an internship, and then learning every single minute you can about that content, what that world is really about. Yeah, that's a great idea. I love that idea of Flipboard. I'm definitely going to yeah. look that up because I've never heard of it. Are oh, there any great. other like associations that you're part of as someone in this industry or just anywhere else that people might? Yeah, might I mean, I, I've always been a part of like PRSA, which is Public Relations Society of America. It has a lot of great brand stories. Ad Age is great to subscribe to and they do a lot of events. There's dozens and dozens of newsletters, but I would say PRSA, I think Ad Age are really incredible. Okay. Thank you so much. Those are great resources to check out for people. Okay. I'm going to ask you our very last questions before we wrap up. And I ask it to everybody. So it is, will you please share a sentence that uses verbiage or jargon from your field, then translate it so it's understandable to us? Oh, I mean, maybe people know this, but I think one of the funniest kind of like references in the uh, restaurant world is I need this on the fly and it, and you have to use it in that tone. Do you, do you know what that, you know what that is? I know. I don't know what that is. Tell me. On the fly is generally when something's been messed up in a restaurant and you have to redo it and you have somebody who's not super happy with you. Like I need these chicken wings on the fly. And then the whole kitchen goes in this like spatter. So it's on the fly basically means like drop everything else, get this done immediately. Okay. Yes. I, on that the makes fly. complete sense. Yeah. On the fly. Like don't so do you anything start telling your boys. You start telling your boys, I need this room picked up on the fly. Yeah. Or like when we need to get out of the house, like yes. get your shoes on, on the fly. Uh, it basically means <laughs> it flies from the kitchen out into the, uh, the hospitality room. Oh, I got it. Okay. Yeah. There you go. My husband was in hospitality. So I'll have to see if he knows this reference. Yes. Test yeah. Test I, yeah. There you go. Right. I can quiz him for later. All right. Well, thank you so much soon for being here. It was just such a pleasure to learn about you and like all your very incredibly cool and diverse jobs that you have. And where can people find you and your your various things that you're working on if they are interested in doing so? Yeah, I'm pretty straightforward. So soon Haggerty on Instagram and Facebook, and then um, just started really spending some time on LinkedIn. I uh, For a while, I thought, I can't do three social media handles. I can't. But since we started the foundation, just doing a lot of thought leadership and posting some interesting articles that like I really liked. So on LinkedIn as well. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you, Julie. Really enjoyed it. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Women With Cool Jobs. I'll be releasing a new episode every two weeks. So make sure you hit that subscribe button. And if you loved the show, please give me a five-star rating. Also, it would mean so much if you shared this episode with someone you think who would love it or would find it inspirational. And lastly, do you have ideas for future shows or do you know any rock star women with cool jobs? I would love to hear from you. You can email me at julie at womenwithcooljobs.com or you can find me on Instagram at womencooljobs. Again, that's women, cool jobs. Thank you so much for listening and have an incredible day.